electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the real state of stocks and why the view of your money may be dimming. We'll debate that and what lies ahead for the markets with our investment committee. Joining me for the hour today, Stephanie Link, Josh Brown, Michael Farr, Pete Najarian. He's the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Good to see everybody. Let's see where the trade currently is. Carl just said it. S&P's only 20-some-odd points away from a new high. We're a gain of one-half of 1% today. The Dow Jones Industrial Average is good for 175. We're hovering right around the highs of the day, just a little bit off of that. We are off the fourth negative session in five, though, for stocks. Um, Michael Farr, I thought it's interesting. You, you think the market appears to be a little tired. Does that mean it's just a rest period before we wake up and carry on? Kind of, Scott. I mean, so we're up 17 percent year to date. It's been a fabulous year. Earnings have kept up. Uh, investors have done very well. Sentiment, though, is still bleh. When you talk to investors, they're like, well, I don't like stocks right now. And and when I hear that, it's kind of music to my to my ears. Uh, so I think, you know, we've gone up a lot. I think there's still more to go. But it really is a stock picker's market. It's a time when you really need to know what you own and choose your stocks very selectively. Uh, and I think there are still names out there that you can buy, Scott. Uh, I've even thrown some uh, uh, out on, uh, uh, on the uh, website today for uh, the halftime report that we can talk about. We will do that in a moment. Uh, nice tease. I appreciate that. So, Josh Brown, right? <laughs> Scott Minard was with us last week. There's a lot of noise out in the marketplace right now. You asked him a question. I mean, I know you remember the conversation we had. He's looking for a 10 to 15 percent correction. Then you have UBS and, and Oppenheimer raising their outlooks for the S&P 500 just this week. Where are we? Like, what is this period that we are in right now? Carl said it at the end of, of the prior program. We're only 20 some odd points away from uh, another high on the S&P and suddenly it feels like sentiment has gotten dour again. So what's really interesting here is that sentiment has gotten dour because I think consumers are registering their unhappiness with paying higher prices for everything in their real lives. The good news is that's not going to be a permanent situation. The bad news is I do believe it's showing up in enthusiasm. Uh, for the overall market and for even like look at um, the latest poll numbers on Biden. He's dropping like a rock. And the main thing people are citing is uh, obviously the Delta variant and the economy and high prices. So he's uh, now 43 percent of respondents disapprove in a Harvard Caps Harris poll survey. So like people are not feeling as good as they were a month ago. I do think this spring there was a sense of euphoria as the vaccine numbers were ramping up, the virus was disappearing. It seemed very obvious that the reopening was on. And now things seem to be a little bit more murky, which maybe has led to 
a drop in, in, in small caps, a drop in industrials, the whole reopen trade kind of looks like it's falling apart a little bit. Take a look at some of the housing plays. Zillow looks terrible. Open door looks worse. Um, so I think there's some element of that in the market. I don't necessarily think it's the end of the world, though. And if we're going to have a seasonally weak period here, seasonally, it would make sense. So I think we're kind of in a no man's land. There's not really a big, bold, uh, defined trend going forward. But let's all not forget, July was a great month for, for the stock market. Mm-hmm. Maybe not most stocks, but we still went up 2.5%. We're up 18% year to date, as Michael Farr mentioned, on a total return basis. Earnings will probably be up 40% in the year 2021. We've actually had multiple contraction uh, of about 10% this year, which means it's not like we're overpaying for this earnings growth. And I still think we could rally into year end, even if we have to take a little bit of a pause this summer, because on balance, as prices come back down in some of these things we've been worrying about and the virus gets more under control, I do think people will come back to the stock market. All right. So, Steph, where does this leave us, right? We, we know August is historically weak. Delta variant is spreading out of control in, in many places in this country. There are now discussions that herd immunity is not going to be reached until you get maybe close to 90 percent, which means a lot more infection and a lot more vaccinations needed to reach that. It's going to be painful. We, we know that rates are going down almost by the day. Now they get a little bit of a bounce off the bottom today. I literally just checked as Josh was talking. I think it's 117 is where we currently sit on, on the 10 year. <clears throat> and then I've got this reopen trade that Josh referenced. I mean, it's ugly over the last month. Carnival Cruise down 19%, Royal Carib 15, Norwegian 21, MGM 15, Wynn 23, Sands 25, Josh's Live Nation 12. Is that trade in trouble? Well, it hasn't been fun. I own a whole whole bunch of them myself. Um, As um, Michael and Josh mentioned, this is seasonally a slow period, August and even into September. Um, And we have to watch Delta and we have to watch mask mandates. That's the worry part of the of the market right now. Market always worries about something, Scott. I worry about that, too, by the way, those items. But I will say the economy continues to be solid. Right. The ISM new order number. That's a leading economic indicator for earnings and CapEx. It's been, it's been above 60 for 13 straight months. The factory orders today, better than expected. Even in GDP, I know the headline number was not that great, but personal consumption up 12%, final sales up 7.7%, business spending up 9%. That does not tell me that the economy or rates are telling me that the economy is going to go into a recession next well, year. It's telling us that things are slowing. It's telling us that things are slowing, but they will be above trend. And oh, by the way, this leads me into earnings. Earnings. 85% of the companies have beat. They're beating by 18%. It's broad-based. Guidance is good. I've had a number of companies that I own that raise dividends, so happy about that as well. So, And then you have an accommodated Fed. I don't think that they're going to do anything at Jackson Hole. They may not do anything until the end of the year in, in terms of taper talk. You've got another infrastructure fiscal coming. Right? So you have tons of stimulus in the system. So yes, the reopen stocks have taken it on the chin. They're the ones, though, that are going to that bounce hard once we can get control and more understanding over Delta variants. Yeah, I feel like numbers are always behind the curve, though, right? I mean, numbers may tell a story, but personal sentiment on where things actually stand within the economy and the stock market can be two different things. Right, Pete? I mean, 
It's still high. Where, where do you th- well, we're going to well, uh, we're going to get to that in just a moment <laughs> because maybe it's not as high as you think. Pete, where are we? Well, you know, Scott, I think the reality is we all are talking and referring to sentiment. And, and the easiest way to look at that and, and measure that is where is the VIX right now? Yes, today we got over 20 once again. We were up there for about a blink of an eye and we immediately recoiled and fell right back down and fell right back down, not just to 19, but we got about 1850, 1860. So it, it tells me a lot about what, you know, we may have all these thoughts. And I think Steph brought up a lot of really good data, which is, you know, the economy is doing well. Yes, there's some slowing, but the economy is doing well. And yes, the reopen trade is always going to be difficult, especially as we have this de- this back, dra- uh, uh, back looking thing with the as we're looking at the variant. I mean, the variant is certainly something that people should be and are concerned about. And that part makes total sense. But how concerned are they? And that's why I say I look at the volatility index to tell me not as concerned as we may think they are. Because the that, true measure of the volatility no, index. I don't know. You, yeah, think that, but, you think the VIX is telling the true story of the volatility? I mean, there's a, those, there are those who suggest, Pete, that there's a lot more volatility yeah. beneath the surface than the VIX is actually telling. Mm. So be careful about referring to that as a true measure of where yeah. risk sentiment is really at. Well, you know, I don't know whether I agree with that or not. I will say this, though, Scott, the FXX, you know, which is the short term VIX measure for the future. That thing is we had some huge call buying in there. And so that is something that I was paying attention to. They were buying August. They were going up to the 38 strike there and they were looking for some sort of a pop. And maybe we will get that pop. As of right now, though, we have gone up to 20 and pulled back almost the same day or within minutes or hours of hitting that 20 level and pulling right back. And where are we right now in the market? We all know where we are. Look at look at the markets and the performance that we've had. It's been very, very impressive. The bounce back has been there. And we've continued to have these strong. And you guys, I think Josh was just referencing July and, and the, the nice performance that we had there, even though we closed it out poorly. But July, another strong month. So I think that what we are seeing in front of us, I think I'd rather trust what I'm seeing in the VIX than have somebody tell me, hey, the VIX is showing you this, but hey, this is what I think. I don't really care what somebody thinks. I want to care about what people are doing with their money, where they're (laughs) investing and how they're investing. And that tells me the direction. Well, the question is where they're going to be investing and how they're going to be feeling. And there's a tell today that things are dimming. I mean, at least if you believe Steve Leisman's All-America survey, which we like to highlight anytime he does it, and he joins us now with more. Steve, if things are still so theoretically good, why are people starting to feel so bad? Uh, I think it was said before by Josh, it's the virus, it's inflation, America's views on the economy, Scott, and the stock market taking a decisive turn for the worse in our survey amid growing concerns about the virus, and, of course, inflation. Uh, If you look at just 33% of the public believing now is a good time to invest in stocks, that's the lowest since 2016, and again, lower than it was during the worst of the pandemic. Also, looking at it by party, compared to October Republicans, they've turned sharply negative on the stock market, while Democrats, they've grown much more positive. Independents, they soured as well on stocks. The views on the stock market, they're mirrored in those of the economy, where the outlook has turned pessimistic. Take a look at these numbers here. 51% of the public say they are pessimistic about the current state of the economy and the outlook. That's the most pessimistic they've been since 2015. Just 22% give the economy positive marks. Views now are worse than they were in the teeth of the pandemic back in the spring. But here's the investment question. I think Stephanie may have an answer for this. 
Is this pessimism, will it translate into less spending by Americans, many of whom, of course, are flush with cash at the moment? So, Scott, there's a conflict there. Steph, what do you make of this? The consumer has its 12% savings rate right now. It's down from 27%, but the historical average is 5%. There's huge pent-up demand. Right. And again, those personal consumption numbers were huge in, in the GDP number. That really didn't get highlighted. Up 12%, that's a, an enormous number. So I think the consumer is fine. I don't think looking. I think we can certainly get, well... Backward-looking, oh, right? It's backward-looking. Well, not a savings rate. And not a pent-up demand, and not, I don't know if, you, if we all open our eyes and see how packed the airports are. I, I just got back from someplace, and it was jammed. Not only was the airport jammed, the restaurants were jammed, the airlines were jammed. I mean, hey, people are, are eager to get out. I and hear I think you. That, that, you know what, if we, have to wear masks, if we have to wear masks again, we will. But people still want to get out. They want to spend. And they have the money to do it. Look, Scott, yeah. Yeah, go ahead, Scott. Steve, because, I mean, look, Jim Labenthal was with us yesterday, and he's like, oh, look, I just got back from Vegas. I was driving around town in my Lambo. Everything was hot. You couldn't even get into place. It looked like it was, you know, 2015 all over again. Steph's pointing to, you know, how good people are theoretically feeling. What do you say to that? Even I was going to say even my band is selling out, Scott. I just want to make that clear that uh, – uh, <laughs> you, you can't get a ticket for a concert at a high, at a pretty high ticket price. I got to tell you, we we had to turn people away on Sunday night. People want to really want to get out. But here's the thing: um, you're right. You're right. The data is is looking back, but also the issue of the the issues on the table in the future can be dealt with. For example, a better showing by the president that he has the virus under control, getting control of the communication so people aren't so confused and afraid with what's going on. Mask mandate, no mask mandate, virus, vaccine works, vaccine doesn't work. Those are things the president can get control over, which would have an important impact on the psyche and help clear the way for spending. Because Stephanie is right. It's not backward looking. The amount of savings people have is a fact, and it will become a fact well, in the marketplace. It's just whether the psyche's in the right place to go spend it. Of course, Josh, the market is forward-looking, as we know, and if the market was so incredibly concerned with a lot of the issues that are out there, the Dow wouldn't be sitting at 35,000, as I'm saying these words, and the S&P wouldn't be 25 or 30 points or whatever it is away from a new high. It would, re it would be reflecting an entirely different picture, Josh. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. There's a lot but that's a, there's a lot that's been said about some of the divergences that we're seeing. Um, one of the interesting phenomena right now, no matter what sector you look at, the the big winners are the largest market cap names in each sector. And the big losers tend to be Russell 3000 names. Uh, Russell 2000 names uh, tend to be, you know, the smaller cap size. The other thing that's going on is that there is a very clear preference within each sector uh, for high quality. So as measured by, let's say, high ROE uh, as one way to look at it. So to me, that's a sign that people still want to be invested. Don't forget, stocks are up six months straight, the S&P 500, um, which is a pretty great trend. But there does seem to be this predilection for larger stocks and higher quality stocks. And we've seen that before. It doesn't mean the rally's over or the bull market's getting long in the tooth or whatever people say. But I think you want to pay attention to that because it is uh, a tell on sentiment and it does line up nicely with some of these things I was talking about earlier, just about people's general confidence um, in the economy. 
we're, we have an uptick now. 49% of Americans are telling that same poll that uh, we're on the wrong track. And, and that's up from 42% just a month ago. So this is a big jump. And I again, I'm not one of these people that thinks the Delta thing is totally out of control. Uh, we actually are seeing a peak already uh, in the UK. Like it, it's going to come and go. And we're also seeing something I mentioned last week, something very important that the vaccine rates are going up in the hardest hit areas. Like this is scaring people into reality and away from their their Facebook uh, moron bubbles. Well, so these are all good signs. And, and I do think ultimately we'll get control of that. The recovery narrative will come back. Um, and September is going to be a really critical month. Like, we'll see what happens with these mm-hmm. 9.2 million open jobs when people can get their kids back to school. Like, that's going to be, I think, a make or break moment for the recovery. And we have a, a little bit of a ways to go before we get there. So the pause makes sense to me. So, you know, but Michael Farr's not running for the hills. He, he's been doing this TV thing long enough that he teased. He knows how to tease something. And he did it at the very top of the show <laughs> where he said, if I've got cash, I've got five stocks that I would buy right now. Michael Farr, Visa. Truist Financial, CVS, Valmont Industries, and FedEx. If I have cash, he says, I'd buy them today. Yeah, I mean, I like them all, uh, Scott. I like that they've all pulled back off their highs. You know, one of the things about Steve's survey is, is, is if you look at the flip of what he said, instead of 32% people feel good about uh, the market now. That means 68%, I think, math in my head, don't. And which is great. I mean, if you came out, if Leesman's survey came out and said that 68% of, of, the, of the public thought that this was a great time to invest, I'd probably tell you to sell. Uh, you know, these markets don't top when everybody is negative. So I think that this thing continues to have a melt up. Here are five names uh, where I think you can invest today. You've got good, solid balance sheets. They're dividends. I mean, you look at a, at, at a uh, Visa uh, at, as a recovery stock or a CVS. Farmer Jim loves it. Ten times earnings, growing earnings at 10 percent. It's got a peg ratio of one, 2.4 percent dividend. I mean, I think that this is a diversified portfolio. You can buy it. And as this market continues to advance and we continue to see good earnings numbers, these are the sort of stocks that are going to benefit. I'm, I'm going to be uh, clear here, no too. money on the sidelines. Let, let's be clear. You, you own all of these, right? These are not just you're throwing ideas out into the ether. I mean, you, you, oh, own, no. you own these names, all of them, right? I own them all. I own them personally. My family owns them. My mother-in-law owns them. Okay, so I'm really on the hook. Don't think I'm not going to catch hell if we go into trouble here. But I, I you mean, better this hope is, these I things stay up now. Solid names into- <laughs> I hope you know some good. Ho- I hope you know some good She's- hotels in the area where I know you live, just in case. Thirty-two, thirty-two years of marriage. I know hotels. Believe me. <laughs> all right, Steve Leesman. I'll give you the last word. But uh, before is Steve here or debounce? Oh, he's here. I'll give you the last word. I'm still uh, here. I'll give you the last word. Uh, the, contra- the contrarian indicator. I mean, OK, so everybody's getting all upset about where we are in the economy and the stock market. And then all it takes, Steve, as you know, is a headline or two relative to both that gets people to change their attitudes and feel a little bit better about things. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think contrarianism is, an, is a sort of uh, automatic sort of thing. You have to think that people have missed some story out there. And if they're missing a story, 
It's the idea that I think Josh Brown was talking about, the idea that maybe the Delta variant, uh, variant has peaked. Maybe uh, there will be some efforts to get it under control. Maybe people will become less concerned about it, uh, b- both from an investment standpoint, a spending standpoint, and from a general sentiment standpoint. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's just not, you don't go, A, because it's that way, I go this way. No, you go the other way because you feel like you have additional information that will uh, inform your investment decision. For sure. I appreciate it, Steve, as always. That's Steve Leisman with his All-America Survey. Sure. We always like to highlight on this program. We'll talk to you again soon. Interesting. Uh, Bank of America flow show, right? Steph, we, we talk about this report whenever it comes out because, it you know, at least it's a little slice of what may be a broader tell. Uh, people buying stocks, they say, but there's no conviction at all on the inflation trade. Net buyers of U.S. equities for the second week in a row. So, you know, there is some money that continues to come into the stock market. It's just perhaps more discerning about where it's heading. Yeah, because we've had a really nice run. I think you want to be buying some of these cyclical names because they're all down about 15 to 20 percent, along with the reopened names. And again, these two groups are going to bounce hard when Delta is, has peaked and starts to roll over. And it will at some point. I don't know the timing. No one knows the timing. But these are the stocks that are now actually very attractively valued. And as for inflation and nobody, nobody believes in inflation, just look around. Just look around where you're at and what you're paying for things in general across the board. That's number one. And number two, wages are going higher. And number three, shelter costs are going higher. Those are really important things. They're sticky parts of inflation. So I have said this all along. I don't know what transitory means. Is it three months? Is it three years? If it's three years, that's a long time to be dealing with inflation. And people are not going to be happy, that's for sure. Let me ask you this, Pete, because then you have Fed Governor Waller dropping a bomb on the closing bell yesterday afternoon saying that the Fed could begin tapering as early as October. Uh, Mm -hmm. I don't think the market's ready for that. I don't think many people see that. Now, you know, in my view, with tapering, we should go early and go fast in order to make sure we're in position to raise rates in 2022 if we have to. So maybe Governor Waller's also thinking about, hey, if inflation gets a little out of control or if it's not as transitory as the Fed chair thinks and some of the other members of our committee think, we may have to raise rates in 2022. We better have enough tools in the toolbox to go ahead and do that. And we better start tapering perhaps as early as October. If that happens, what happens to stocks? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it'll be pretty interesting, Scott, because that is far in front of what, it, what everybody's been expecting. And I think the market always wants to be very comfortable about what it is expecting and when. So I think that would be something that would flash into the markets. I think people, if the reaction was that they, they were going to get very aggressive and for whatever reason that sent a little bit of fear in the markets, then we'd be looking at what I would think would be a great opportunity. Because looking forward, it will be very, very interesting to see exactly when and how the Fed is going to be reacting and what their message is going to be. Obviously, Powell has been very, very clear about it. Transitory, everybody else seems to be, or at least it seemed like, Everybody else was in line with that. But if we do something much sooner, I would expect that there would be a negative reaction. And if we if we get that, I think that's a great opportunity in front of us. I keep waiting, Scott, like you were just saying, we've got all these different indices that we talk about. They are right there on the cusp of being at these all time highs once again. We need some sort of a pullback, shakes it out a little bit, and that gives us the opportunity that I think that we're looking for. Whether it's Tony Dwyer or any of the different uh, folks that are out there, everybody seems to have at least somewhere a 5%, a 10%, some sort of a pullback for the markets, and we just have not gotten that. So 
if and when we do get that, I think that creates an opportunity. And I think a lot of those folks that are expecting that look upon that as an opportunity to start to load up look, again. Somebody who, who looks at that kind of thing as an opportunity, like a pullback in a name like Corteva, Stephanie Link, used to own it, right? <laughs> you sold it. You like yeah. this, this segue works well. You sold it at the beginning that of May. Okay. <laughs> I'm looking at it right now. Yeah. It's down, let's call it 14% between then and now. So what do you do? You see opportunity. You bought Corteva again. I did. I, look, I made a lot of good money on it on the way the first time around. Um, but yeah, down 16 percent, 14, 16 percent from this highs. I think there is opportunity because you've got Starboard in there, an activist, and they just ousted the CEO and they actually just hired a CFO from Honeywell, Dave Anderson, way back in the day, who was amazing. So now all of a sudden you have a new management team. You've got a positive ag cycle. And oh, by the way, you have a company that has massively underperformed their peers. Their margins are a thousand basis points below their, their peers. So I think that there's a lot that they can fix. So you know me, <laughs> I like these restructurings. Uh, I think there's a lot of po positive operating leverage potential uh, at the company. And I like the fact that it's on sale now. I see that you also bought Diamondback Energy. Fang, why? Yeah, down 23% from its highs. It's still up a lot this year, but high-quality company in the ESP space. They've got discipline. They're focused on execution. They just beat uh, EBITDA yesterday, last night. They raised their dividend. They raised production. They cut CapEx. They're doing all the right things, so I'm taking advantage on the pullback. Michael Farr, Catalent, CTLT. Uh, it's a new buy for you. Tell me about it. It is. It's in our SMIDCAP uh, portfolio. Uh, the stock has done well, but we think that they're executing. This is in the pharmaceutical biotech kind of space. Uh, the stock uh, pulled back a little bit. We did not pay the current today price for it. We bought it a little bit over time. We think the prospects to really do well in this whole healthcare expansion and particularly in the biotech area of this expansion are very strong and ought to be, a, I, I think it's going to drive performance in our SMIDCAP portfolio. Lastly, before we take a break, Josh, I'm pulling up Simon Property Group because if you're looking for at least one gauge uh, on where we are in the recovery, uh, SPG is up 2.3% right now. It's up better than 100% over the last year. They say now sales return to pre-pandemic levels in June. What do you think? Yeah, this is one of the most misunderstood stocks in the entire market. Um, it's, it's, it's back to just under 5% of the business it was doing prior to the pandemic, but the share price is significantly lower than that. Uh, in the meanwhile, they're actually raising their dividend uh, and they're actually returning even more capital um, back to to uh, investors. And I think this is a company that uh, ultimately is just an absolute cash cow given the properties that they own. Uh, and it's just going to take another couple of years before they can fully realize their vision. But they own A malls. This is not strip malls that are being disrupted by e-commerce. They literally own the new town square uh, some of the best properties in America and the suburbanization that we've seen over the last 18 months is not over. The home buying that we've seen from the millennial generation outside of the cities is not over. And Simon is going to be important for, for years to come. So very happy with this investment so far. I think I'm up 100 percent. No plans of selling it. OK, good stuff. Coming up, value investor Bill Nigren of Oakmark will join us. He's got an interesting list of sells and buys. New stock he added to. Oh, he sold that. Hmm. Whoa, he bought more of that. I'll tell you what I'm talking about when we come back. <laughs> 
And a reminder, you can always watch us or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We're back right after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit ODFL.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. The Pentagon was locked down this morning as police responded to shots fired on a bus platform near the building. The local fire department reporting there are multiple patients, although no further details have been released. We do know, however, the lockdown has just been lifted. No response yet from New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, although he is now scheduled to speak about 30 minutes from now at 1 p.m. Eastern. That's after an investigation overseen by the state's attorney general found that Cuomo harassed at least 11 women. They are current and former state employees, including a state police trooper. Governor Cuomo's administration fostered a toxic workplace that enabled harassment and created a hostile work environment where staffers did not feel comfortable coming forward with complaints about sexual harassment due to a climate of fear and given the power dynamics. And tonight on the news with Shepard Smith, a look at why New York's AG is not pursuing legal charges against the governor. Microsoft joining the list of companies that will require proof of a COVID vaccination for employees coming to work. Vendors and guests entering Microsoft buildings in the U.S. will also need to show that they're vaccinated. The company is delaying a full reopening until at least early October. And flames tore through the roof of a building at the Princeton Theological Seminary this morning. The building houses classrooms and faculty offices. No injuries in the two-alarm fire, and investigators are still working on a cause. Scott? All right, Rahel, we appreciate it. Thank you, Rahel Solomon. Our next guest is one of Morningstar's ultimate stock pickers. Bill Nygren manages the Oak Bark Fund, joins us live once again from Chicago. Mr. Nygren, welcome back. It's good to see you. I hope you're well. Thanks, Scott. Great to be here. I'm Thanks at, for having me. I'm looking at the moves you're making, and it strikes me, and you correct me if I'm wrong, it seems to me that you are or have been a little more active than normal lately. Is that characterized correctly or not? Well, at, at Oakmark, we typically own about 50 stocks in the portfolio, and our average holding period is about five years. So you can expect us to uh, have about two additions and two subtractions in the portfolio each quarter. In this past quarter, we only added one new name, and the rest of the money that we got from the securities we sold went into a bunch of the names that were already in the portfolio that, frankly, we thought were cheaper than other new ideas would have been. Yeah, so, I mean, you added significant, um, well, at least you added to some significant names. You added more money to Keurig, Dr. Pepper, Workday, eBay, and Netflix. 
Which one do you want to start with? Well, we, we, we can start with any of them. Uh, Netflix was a name that obviously benefited a lot from the pandemic. And I think growth investors have pulled back a little bit uh, as the subscribers that normally would have joined Netflix this year were pulled forward to last year. Our view of the company is it, it is and will remain the dominant streaming play. Uh, we think the company ought to be valued at something at least $1,000 a subscriber. That gets you uh, a higher number than where the stock price is now. And uh, $1,000 a sub is only uh, comparable to what other cable services like an HBO have been valued at. So we don't think that's aggressive at all. Josh Brown, you have a question specifically related to Netflix, I understand. <clears throat> I do. Thanks so much, Bill. I think Netflix is one of the toughest stocks of the large cap, uh, let's call it tech or growth names or whatever. It's really difficult because they've been executing, right? Like earnings over the last four quarters are up 55%. Uh, this is going back to last summer. But in that same time, the stock is flat. It's plus 4%, which versus almost all of its peers is pretty terrible. And its multiple is compressing almost like in fast forward. It started the year 80 times forward earnings. It's growing those earnings. And now it's about 46 times. So it's, its forward P.E. is down about 40 percent. So I guess my question is, why is the stock being treated this way? Why is there so much more doubt surrounding Netflix than virtually any of the other large cap growth names? Do you think that's all a story about HBO Max and Disney or is there something else going on here? Well, I think there's a uh, concern that near-term numbers aren't going to look great because, uh, as I said earlier, subscribers have been pulled forward. Uh, it's a competitive space, and I don't think uh, investors have really come to grips with the idea that the average person is probably going to subscribe to three or four streaming services. And the other thing is uh, part of that earnings growth right now was also a pull forward because they weren't able to do any of their original production uh, during the pandemic. So you're looking at a company that for a couple of quarters isn't going to see tremendous subscriber growth, is not going to see tremendous earnings growth. But, but we think that's the wrong way to look at it. Uh, subscribers watch more Netflix now than they ever have, so the engagement is the best it's ever been. And if you look at the two-year growth stack, uh, this growth in subscribers has been way beyond what people expected two years ago. So we think this is a very healthy company that an extreme focus on near-term numbers is uh, keeping hidden in plain sight. I want to get to a couple of things that you sold in just a moment, because I think our viewers will find them interesting. But let's get to one of your your new buy. Uh, you mentioned your turnover is is um, not that dramatic. Um, ICE, International Intercontinental Exchange, excuse me. Uh, why did you buy that stock? This is a, a, a business we've admired for a long time and a CEO that we've got great respect for. Uh, Jeff Sprecher basically started with an electricity trading company and has now parlayed that into owning the New York Stock Exchange, among other things. Uh, ICE is typically sold at a premium to the S&P multiple. Uh, it's now selling at a discount. And we think with their acquisition of Ellie Mae that they've put themselves in the pole position for being able to digitize uh, the closing process on residential mortgages. If they succeed at that, uh, that is going to be a very large growth opportunity for the company. Now, Stephanie Link is definitely going to want to get into this next conversation because you sold Caterpillar, <laughs> uh, 
which she, she disagrees with. I'll just say it so she doesn't have to. Um, why'd you sell Cat? <laughs> yeah. Well, first, let's go back to why we owned Cat. Uh, our view at Oakmark was that a lot of these large industrial companies whose businesses were becoming more and more reliant on services and spare parts were becoming much better businesses, and yet the market was pricing them at about half the market multiple. Over the past year, CAT stock has done very well, and today you have to believe CAT is a better-than-average business to continue owning it. Uh, we weren't at that point, and at Oakmark, momentum, price momentum isn't a positive thing for us. You usually see us moving the opposite direction, so we're selling stocks that have done well, and we're buying those that have performed poorly. And Caterpillar uh, at current numbers to us just doesn't look that cheap. Steph, do you, you counter that? I mean, you're one to take profits from time to time and things that have had a nice move and, you know, don't look cheap after a certain period yeah. of time. Absolutely. But the stock has pulled back 14 percent from its highs. They have very strong end markets, residential constructions, probably in what, fifth inning and, and higher commodity costs and aging fleet helps their resources business. The resources business hasn't even really recovered just yet. You're not you're not at the trough, but hasn't seen a recovery yet. And I think, again, higher commodity costs will higher commodity prices will help that particular part of their business. And then I think this CFO has done a great job in terms of margins. I mean, they're going to do like 300 basis points improvement in margins this year. And I think there's more to go. This is after years and years and years of restructuring. So I think you can see double digit earnings growth, especially given that you have low dealer uh, inventories as well. So I still think that this is an attractive story for 2021. We'll see what happens in 2022. But I think between now and the end of the year, the stock should do well. OK. And lastly, Bill, before I let you run, uh, you sick and tired of MGM, right? I mean, I mentioned it at the top of the show. Stock's down 15% over one month. It's down 11% over three. The reopen trade is questioned in certain corners, and you sold it. Yeah, we, we sold that one well, uh, having gotten out of it in the second quarter, so we weren't exposed to what happened during July. But I think the market got overly excited during the month of July about online gaming opportunities for the traditional uh, bricks-and-mortar gaming companies. And I think the... Uh, disruptors in that industry, like a bar stool or like a DraftKings, that are being very aggressive with customer acquisition cost, are going to make it quite difficult for the existing uh, the existing gaming companies to get the share of that business that they feel they're entitled to. I always appreciate it. We always focus on a lot of stocks that everybody's buying. So I'm glad uh, with you today we could focus maybe more on some of the things that you're selling and the reasons why. Maybe it's a, you know, give our investors some thought about their own portfolios as well. Bill, we'll talk to you soon. Great. Thank you. All right. That's Bill Nigren, Oakmark, joining us. Next up, Pete's got unusual activity. We're back in two minutes. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. It's that time. Pete Najarian, what do you have for us today in Unusual Activity? 
Sure, Scott. I'm going to give you AMD as my first one. Now, you go back to last Wednesday when I was last on with you guys. We talked about the, the fact that they were buying the July 93 strike calls with the stock trading just underneath 93. Those ripped to the upside. By Thursday, we were already at 101. Then we started to see some rolls. 34,000 were bought of the 101s that also expired on Friday. So both were done. Stock got up to 106. I rolled along with them, got out. I had no position on until this morning when we had a buyer of 27,000 of the August 6th, which is Friday. Once again, they're staying really, really short term here, Scott. And they were buying these for a buck fifty up to about two fifty. Stock was one hundred eight, moved to one ten. Last I looked, the stock's already trading like one thirteen. These new, are new already high. starting to produce. Yeah, it's yes, a new high which today has been for AMD. Absolutely. And think about that, Scott. We're going back to just last Wednesday. Stock was in the 92s, and here we are today up there at these new highs that you're talking about. So unbelievable run to the upside, rolling along with it. The, the percentages of the gains are absolutely astronomical. So that's, that's why we trade the options. But secondly, I've got Pfizer. We had buyers of the 43 strike calls last week. Today we're getting buyers of Friday's expiring 45 calls. The stock was trading a little bit lower than that. Those calls were going anywhere from only 12 cents up to about 30 cents. So new high. inexpensive <laughs> options that have an opportunity to move to the upside and another new high. Very short term in both these two trades. Yeah. All right. Good stuff. Pete, appreciate it. Ask Halftime is coming up next. You can send your questions by video. We'll play them on the air. Email us askhalftime at cnbc.com. We're back right after this. All right, Q&A time for the Investment Committee. Josh Brown, video question for you. Hey, Halftime. I wanted to find out when to get into the TDC stock. It's having a huge run-up right now. Thank you. All right, Teradata. Josh Brown, what do you think? Yeah, I picked this as a, an impending breakout. It still hasn't quite broken out. It looks like that's kind of in progress. But on technicals alone, I think it can own the stock here. Uh, I don't really see a lot of resistance. This is a turnaround story that's like 10 years in the making. So uh, bullish TDC. I haven't pulled the trigger yet personally, um, but I like where things are headed. All right. That's uh, highs of the day for uh, Teradata today. Stephanie Link, Mike in Fort Myers, wants to know about IBM, which, by the way, is the second best performing Dow stock today. Is it going to move on cloud adoptions is the question. Absolutely. It's all about cloud adoptions and AI and blockchain. That's what this CEO is focused on. So they announced an AR partnership today. Last week, they announced an, a, a partnership with SAP to accelerate cloud adoption in the financial services sector. So kind of industry by industry, they're ch kind of chipping away, if you will. This stock only has four buys and 14 holds or sells. And it trades at 13 and a half times earnings with a 5% dividend yield. So I still like it very much. I'd be buying it even today. Okay. Uh, Michael Farr, Dan in Pittsburgh, Pepsi or Coke? Which one? Dan, I go with Pepsi. Stephanie Link can tell you to go with Coke. Uh, I like Dan LaGuardia. Uh, LaGuardia. Uh, he's terrific CEO. They sold the Tropicana business, not an awful business, but below their margins. I think they're executing well, and I love that snack food business as a driver of growth. Steph, you got the other side on that? Why Coca-Cola over Pepsi? Yeah, because it's lagged and 50 percent is on premises. Um, so they've hurt. They've been uh, hurt because of, you know, we haven't seen the reopen 100 percent. Now we're seeing closures and that sort of thing. So I like what they're doing in terms of new product innovation. I like the CEO. I like what they're doing on margins. So I'm going to stay patient. I think Pepsi probably outperforms near term, but Coke, I like it for the long term. OK, Pete, lastly to you, Jay in Ohio wants to know about Under Armour. What do you, what do you think about it right now? 
When you look at those earnings, Scott, you absolutely had to be just unbelievable reaction because those numbers are unreal. When you look at the revenue growth and the apparel growth, that was awesome. Triple digits across the board. I liked everything about this. I did have calls. I sold them out because those are short term. But I think if you want to be a long term holder, it makes a lot of sense. They are really ripping to the upside. All right. Patrick Frisk, by the way, the CEO is going to be on the closing bell. Uh, that is today. It's an exclusive interview at 3 p.m. Sarah Eisen. Don't miss it. Final trades are next. Miss the show? Don't sweat it. The Halftime Report now has a podcast. Market-moving interviews, call of the day, unusual activity, and, of course, Ask Halftime. Look for us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Fast Money Podcast. All right, welcome back. We'll get to final trades in just a moment. There are a couple of calls I want to get to, though, first. Stephanie Link, how about Anaplan? Upgraded to overweight at Barclays today. Price target goes to 70 from 59. You own it. You've been adding to it, too. I have been adding to it, too. It's been a disappointment. It's down 20% year-to-date. It's underperformed the software group by 40% year-to-date. So it's not been a good stock. To, but I do think right here it's a good value. It's trading at a three-multiple-point discount to its peers. And as enterprise spend recovers, which is a second half of the story um, for the group, that will help their bookings and billings. And, oh, by the way, they have a new C- a CFO. He comes from Nike, ran their D2C business. He also ha- was at Microsoft as well. So he knows a little bit about how to run a company. I'm looking at shares of NVIDIA, Josh Brown, which are sub 200, 197 and change. Reiterated the top pick at Bank of America. Price target goes to 250. What do you think about that target? I'll take it. What more, what more is there to say? <laughs> this is the stock of the last, de- of the last decade. I, like, we're running out of superlatives. If, it, if that goes 250, I'll, I'll still be smiling. Yeah, Pete bought some calls in NVIDIA today, too, I should mention. Pete, what's your final trade for me today? I'm going to give you Smith & Wesson, Scott. I'm in Vista Outdoors as well, but I like uh, Smith & Wesson. I'm seeing some call activity today. Okay. Uh, Michael Farr. FedEx, the B2B is coming back. It's a higher margin business. 12 times earnings, a 15% grower. So a discount to its growth rate plus a dividend. I love it. All right. That was one of your uh, stocks at the top of the show. If you had some cash, you'd buy it right here. Stephanie Link. NXPI, they beat, they raised. The earnings grew 43%. Total revenue guide of 10% versus 7%. And the stock opened down. So silly season continues. I'd be a buyer. Okay. And last but not least, the reform broker, Josh Brown, with a final trade. Bristol-Myers breakout in progress coming out of a five-year consolidation period. All right. the, bigger the, uh, the, the bigger the base, the bigger the space. I All like right. it here. All right, good stuff. Thanks, everybody. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge, and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, 
the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.